Hey guys, my name is Julian Castle, and today I'm with a very special guest. His name is David Dodge. Welcome to Elevate America, where we help your American dream come true. We share stories of hope, teamwork, and personal growth. Together, we'll explore stories that inspire us all to reach new heights. Hope you enjoy, learn, and subscribe. And now, let's meet some big dreamers. I'm Julian Castle, and it's time to Elevate America. David Dodge, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing good, man. How you doing? Doing good. I'm glad to have you on. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So I always like to start off the podcast with a very special question. Yes, and sir. This is, you suddenly lose everything. What would you do? If I suddenly lost everything, what would I do? Oh, that's a good question, man. And I would imagine that if I suddenly lost everything, I would still have access to to a computer, right? Even if I had to go to the library, right? If I lost my own computer, my own phone, my own car, I'd probably still be able to get myself to the library. And there's computers in the library. And what I would most likely do is I would go in there and I would try to pull up Zillow or Facebook or Craigslist, you know, one of these platforms. And I would try to go find people that had properties listed for sale by owner or for rent. And I'd start calling these individuals, right? I'd call them and see if they had interest in selling. I'd try to find somebody that was really, really motivated. And then I would go try to get the property under contract. And then I would try to find other local investors via Facebook groups or local RIA meetings. And I'd try to wholesale that deal to them. And hopefully within just a couple short days of hustling, I could get a property under contract and find a buyer for it. I wouldn't get paid, obviously, until it closes, which could be, you know, two, three, four weeks down the road. But so that would essentially get me enough money to go buy myself a car or at least put some money down on a car and a cell phone and a computer so where I could start actually doing some some real marketing, right? So if I lost everything, I'm assuming that means everything, right? Phone, car, wallet, credit, you know, access to anything and everything that I currently use in my business. But the great thing is, is that you don't really need that much in order to, you know, find motivated sellers. You just have to hustle. So again, I'd call for sale by owners. I'd call those that have properties listed for rent. And I'd ask them if they had an interest in selling them and just try to get some properties under contract. Gotcha. Okay. That, that's very important that you laid out a plan there. I want to talk about the, the parts in the process. Let's say, why, why are you looking for someone that's a for sale by owner? First, a for sale by owner, you know, just because there's not an agent that's already gotten in their ear telling them that their property is going to be worth, you know, more than what I would essentially be offering, right? I love this question, actually, because I teach students all over the country and, you know, this comes up all the time. And one of the things that I do to try to explain this answer is I say, hey, let's role play for a second. So you are a seller and I am an agent, Okay. Now, if I came to you as an agent and my pitch sounded something like this, would you hire me? So here we go. Here's my pitch. You know, hey, Julian, this is David. I'm, an, I'm a real estate agent, you know, and I'd love to work with you. I'd love to list your property for you and help you sell it. I'm really confident that I could probably get you somewhere between 60 and 75 cents on the dollar, you know, for your property. What do you say? You want to list it with me? As the owner, I would say I'm taking a huge discount on that sale. Yeah. So that's not a very good pitch on my part, is it? Not at all. Not at all. So let's do another role play, right? So let's say, all right, 
hey, Julian, I see you got this property. I would love to work with you. You know, Zillow says it's worth 175000 You know, I know yours needs a little bit of work, but not much. You know, I think we should probably list it at like 170 you know, slight discount. And um, I'm confident that we can get you pretty close to that number. How does that pitch sound? Sounds like it's good, but it's not the best. Okay, but it's better than the first pitch, is it not? Yes. Yes. Okay, I'm basically trying to get you 95 to 97%, basically, of what Zillow says it's worth. Obviously, we know Zillow's not 100% accurate, but Zillow's pretty good at ballparking. You know, I mean, they got some pretty good algorithms, so they're, they're pretty decent. But again, the point here, Julian, is not the pitch, you know, being great or terrible. It's just that no agent's going to get any business when they're coming in trying to convince a seller that they're not going to be able to get them the most possible, right? So when an agent is involved, right, they're already in the ear of the seller and they're convincing the seller that they are going to get them as much as possible and that they're, and that, 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 that the seller essentially made a really good decision hiring them as the agent. Well, that's counterintuitive to us real estate investors. You know, in order for us to make money in this business, I've done about a thousand deals over the last 18 years. And, you know, I can tell you this, the money isn't made when you sell. That's when you get paid. The money's made when you buy. And if you're not buying at substantially discounted, you know, rates or, or good big discounts, you're not going to make that much money in this business. So why would I go up to the for sale by owners was your question. And the reason is, is because they don't have that agent in their ear telling them that they can get more. Right. So it just it just it just goes. It makes the process of getting properties under contract at deep discounts that much easier. So that's the answer. Got it. Yeah. And that's amazing. Now, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you can easily do a, a check on Zillow and, and find that the property is worth X, right? And then and then you want to discount that and offer your price, right? So for the for the person that's a, you know, wants to know a little bit about the process of how you go into submitting an offer that you can then go out and find a, a buyer for as a wholesaler. Could you touch on that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's very simple. All all contracts are assignable unless they're ex express, you know, unless they're written in there that they're that they're not assignable, right? Mm -hmm. So if I can go out and I can get a, a property under contract at fifty or sixty, you know, maybe seventy cents on the dollar, but we're starting to get pretty close, depending on how much repairs that property needs. That that's everything, right? Mm -hmm. How much is it is it going to need in repairs? That that affects everything. But if I can go out and I can get a property under contract, and over the years, you know, I've kind of looked at the numbers that I've gotten properties under contract for as, as you know, in reference or in relation to what Zillow says they're worth. And on average, I'm getting properties under contract between 50 and 65 cents on the dollar. Okay. So if I can go out and I can get a property under contract, I have what's referred to as equitable interest. All right. I don't own that property. But I have equitable interest in it, which gives me the right to then go market that property to try to find either a partner to do the deal with me or a cash buyer that I can essentially, you know, sell the deal to. Could be a double close, could be an assignment. It doesn't really matter. We're getting in the weeds here. But if I have a property under contract and I can find a buyer that's willing to pay more than what I am, you know, had agreed to pay the seller, I can wholesale the deal to them and I can make a profit. So it's pretty straightforward. I mean, we just use paperwork, paper. 
You know, I typically use one or two page contracts. They're very simple. I don't like the 12, 13, 14, 16 page contracts because it's confusing. Sellers are reluctant to sign. They want their attorney to review. If I can offer somebody a one page contract and they say, hey, I want my attorney to review, I'll just simply say, yeah, that's fine. No problem. But let's read it together. If there's anything in here that you don't understand or you have questions about, we will remove it. So once we read through a one-page contract and they understand every single line, is there really a need for your attorney to review this? You understand everything in this contract. Great. You understand the price that I'm willing to pay. You understand that I need some time to do some inspections and do some due diligence on the property. And assuming everything goes as planned, here's what I'm going to pay you and we're going to get this done on this date. What what more do you need to know? Like, you know what What do you not understand? And usually I can convince them to sign my contracts. And then from there, I take that contract to the local Facebook groups, to my local RIA. Maybe I have a buyer's list. If not, I'll just market the hell out of it online. Maybe even throw some bandit signs up around the property. I'll find another buyer, and then I will align up that closing on the same day as my original closing or just simply assign my contract to them and get paid. I mean, this is wholesaling 101 right here, right? So it's not very complicated. You just got to find the seller. That's the hardest part, right? Is finding the seller that's motivated enough that essentially is valuing your convenience higher than they are valuing the money that they're leaving on the table. But I can tell you from experience, I've done about a thousand deals. There are sellers that are motivated beyond trying to maximize their income potential everywhere. You know, people are facing lots of problems in life. These aren't things that I wish on anybody, Julian. But I can't prevent people from dying or getting sick or getting relocated or getting divorced. I can't prevent these things, but when they do happen, us real estate investors can be there to help solve some problems, right? So what do real, real estate investors do at the end of the day? Well, we buy properties at discounts. How? How are we able to do that? Well, we solve problems for people. We offer convenience in exchange for these discounts. It's really that simple. Everybody wants to overcomplicate it, right? But the bigger problem that I can find somebody having that I can help them solve, the bigger profits I can typically make. It's so simple. That's amazing. Now, I, I want to touch on what what is it that you've been working on in your community? You have a community of your own. You've you've been building that for a while. You know, why is it that you're first of all coaching or educating people? Yeah, I love helping people get their first deal that are new in the business and I love people that have done a couple deals scale their business up to doing more and more deals a month. You know, at my peak, I was probably doing anywhere between 12 and 15 deals a month. And, you know, I've scaled back a little bit. We're still doing probably somewhere between three and six deals a month at this point. Not all of them are wholesales. We do fix and flips. We do rental burrs. We do creative finance. And of course we do wholesales as well. Real quick guys, no ads here, just real stories. The only ask I have is you spread the word, rate, review, or share this podcast. It may inspire someone out there to reach new heights. Uh, but I love helping people get started in this business. I love teaching them how easy this business can be and how simple this business is. So yes, like you said, I have a community. It's called Real Estate School. And it's designed to help people understand that it's simple. And it's designed to show them the the things that they need to focus their time and effort on. Within our community, we have courses on wholesaling, landlording, real estate data, you know, how to make offers, what contracts to use you know, anything and everything that they may, that they may need, you know, what systems we're using, how we're skip tracing, how we're pulling lists, 
you know, what mail providers we're using, you know, all this stuff. Basically, anything I do in my business, I talk and share about it in my community. So it's a great place for those that are looking to get started to learn as well as, you know, know what they need to start doing, you know, to get started. You know, going and reading another book isn't necessarily the best option, right? What should somebody be doing if they want to become a real estate investor? It's very simple. They should start talking to sellers and they should start making offers. It's that, it, like, that's it, right? Does it does it help you to go read another book or take another course? Well, yeah, you're going to learn some stuff. But is it actually getting you closer to a deal? I would say no, it's not because you're just prolonging. You're just procrastinating the most important activities. What's the most important activity? Talking to sellers and making offers. That's what experienced real estate investors do. People that are doing three, five, 10, 12, 15 deals a month, that's what they're doing a ton of. They're talking to sellers, they're making offers. You know, how do you expect to get a property under contract if you don't make any offers? I mean, I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you can't make a shot if you don't take a shot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You got to make offers to people. And, and here's the thing. You know, you might have to make, you know, 100 offers to get one or two properties under contract. As you get better in this business and you have more experience with, you know, building rapport and making friends and calculating your numbers, you should be able to ideally get that down to maybe one in 10, one in 20, somewhere in that range. But out the gate, you know, in the beginning, it may be one in 50 or even one in 100. So you got to make a lot of offers. And one of my coaches... I've worked with tons of coaches over the years. I probably spent a half a million dollars on coaches and mentors and programs and masterminds and all these different things, right? And, you know, one of my coaches in the very beginning said something to me that stuck with me since he said it to me. And he said, David, the amount of offers you make in this business is directly correlated to the amount of deals you will do. And another way to word that is, is the amount of offers you make in this business is directly correlated to how much money you will make at the end of the year, right? If you don't make any offers, you're not going to do any deals. So here in my business, you know, we try to make between three and five offers every single day at a minimum. I say between three and five, that's the, that's the bottom. That's the low number. Some days we'll make 15 or 20 offers. You got to make offers if you want to do deals, guys. It's, it's that simple. Got it. So when someone is, you know, starting this, you know, we, we had the scenario of you, you suddenly lose everything. You know, you're at a computer and you're looking for these kinds of properties that are for sale by owner, et cetera. What is the metric that you would go for in, in terms of offers that you submitted that day? Uh, you know, that's a great question. Without knowing the, the, the amount of repairs, it's very difficult to, to give somebody an offer that you're going to be able to stand behind, right? Mm -hmm. But oftentimes people aren't going to want you to come out and view the property to then determine those repairs without at least kind of knowing the ballpark on where you're at. So what I typically do is, you know, if somebody says, hey, you know, where are you at? What kind of offer would you make me? You know, and they're not interested in having me come out and walk the property and shake their hand and, you know, get a, a mental note on on those repairs. I'll typically just pull up Zillow and type the address in and, and get the Zestimate, which again, isn't perfect. You know, in some parts of town, it's way better than others. We, we we all should hopefully know that. But what I'll do is I'll typically take that number and multiply it by about 60%. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll make them an offer saying, you know, I'm typically buying houses in this part of town that need work for this number. Now, if your property doesn't need a bunch of work, I can pay you much more than this number. 
But if it needs a bunch of work, it's most likely going to probably be somewhere in this range of 60% of that number. And what I'm doing is I'm just trying to see if they are in the ballpark, right? If if they counter me at 70 or 75% of that number, then I'm going to set an appointment and I'm going to go to try to meet them. But if they counter me at 95 or 100% of the Zestimate, then they're not motivated. It's not worth my time. They're going to need to hire an agent to get that that type of, of, of offer, right? It's not going to come from me. We make money in this business when we buy deals, right? I said it earlier. We get paid when we sell, but we're not making money when we sell, guys. We're getting paid when we sell. The money is made when we buy 100% of the time. If we're buying properties at 80 or 90 cents on the dollar after we go and we put the repairs in, we're going to most likely break even or lose money. But when we're buying properties at 50 to 60 cents on the dollar, and then we go add those repairs, there's typically a 15 to 20% profit margin left over. And that's how we're able to make money in this business. We got to buy deals. People that are trying to, you know, go in and, and, and pay more than 50 to 60 cents on the dollar, you know, they're just taking too much risk. They're speculating. And I don't like to speculate. I want to try to prevent as much of the risk as possible. And, you know, obviously try to make as much money as possible on each deal I do. Yeah, I think that's a great quick estimate as what the underwriting is to make an offer to a seller. And I want to talk about finding a partner who then buys this property off to you. How do you go ahead and talk to someone and and present the property in a way that actually gets them, gets the attention that it needs? to see if they're actually interested. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's a great question. So you go out and you get a property under contract at 50 or 60 cents on the dollar, but it needs repairs. That's how you're able to do it, right? I mentioned this earlier. Why would somebody sell you a property at half of its value? And the reason is, is because they're looking for convenience. They're not looking to maximize profits, right? If they wanted to maximize profits, they'd spend more time trying to find a better offer or they would go fix the property up or they would go hire an agent or they would do all of these things. But again, we are coming in with convenience. What is the convenience, right? In my opinion, you can boil it down to three things. Now there's a hundred, maybe even a thousand different things that we can do to make somebody's life more convenient, right? There's an endless amount of things, but you know, you've heard of the 80-20 principle, right? 80% of the time, it's gonna come down to three things. We're offering cash, we're offering speed, you know, and speed's a relative term, by the way. You know, it's still going to be two, three, four weeks that we can close, but it's not going to be four, five, six months, right? It's going to typically be inside of a month. And then the last thing is we're buying properties as they sit. So as is, we're not requiring the seller to clean them. We're not requiring the seller to fix them. We're not requiring the seller to do any sort of landscaping or anything, right? If the property is vacant and it's got boarded up windows, that's how we're going to buy it. We're interested to buy it as it sits. And oftentimes sellers don't live in the vicinity. They may live across the country. We're not going to require them to come into town. We're going to send a mobile notary out to them. We're going to do everything we can to make their life easy and convenient. And that's how we're able to get these properties under contract, right? So back to your question though, how do you find the buyers? Well, if you have a property under contract at a good deal because you offered convenience to your seller, then what you need to do is you need to go find other investors that are actively doing deals, right? You can't find somebody that doesn't have the money to buy it. That's not going to work, right? So 
Who are these investors? Well, they're other fix and flippers. They're other landlords that are in the market, right? And you can find these people on local Facebook groups. Again, local. I want to highlight that. If you're in Cincinnati, don't be looking in the St. Louis real estate section, guys. That doesn't do you any good, right? Find the local Cincinnati real estate investor group. Find the local fix and flip group for Cincinnati. Find the local landlord group. You know, usually each major market is going to have anywhere from five to 15 Facebook groups for each of these niches. So go in there, post your deal in there, right? And now make sure when you're posting your deal that you highlight that you are owner by contract. It is illegal to market a property that you don't own, but with equitable interest in it, you can market your contract to purchase it. So literally I add three words to my marketing, owner by contract. I put it in parentheses, I put it at the bottom of the marketing. That way everybody knows I don't own the property, but I have it under contract, I have equitable interest in it. Hey, real quick guys, boost your productivity with timeboxing. Even big names like Elon Musk swear by it. We've got a cool sheet to help you out. Grab yours at bit.ly slash timebox sheet. If you don't like it, there's a 30 day money back guarantee. And again, I'm looking for real estate investors that are actively doing deals, fix and flippers, landlords, etc. And I'm shopping my deal to these people. And that is how I sell my deals. It's pretty simple. That's awesome. And how is it, why is it important to be in a community? Uh, well, it's important to be in a community for a lot of reasons. You know, number one, it gives you the ability to collaborate and ask questions. I feel like it helps build people's confidence because they see other people doing deals. They can learn what kind of marketing that person did to, to reach that seller. They can learn what kind of strategies or techniques were used in the negotiation process to get the seller to agree to sell. They can learn how they sold those deals. It's just, it's just a, a, a group or a community of people that are essentially helping each other. They're collaborating. They're sharing ideas. They're also talking about mistakes that they've made and trying to prevent other people in that group from making those same mistakes, right? So there's so many different reasons why somebody would want a community or want to be able to collaborate. You know, a lot of us real estate investors, we feel like we're out on an island all by ourselves, right? We feel alone and the community will help us not feel that way. It'll help us feel as if we have ourselves a group or a team, even though they may not be working in our business with us, we're all essentially trying to work same goal. The property's under contract so we can flip those properties to make a profit. So great question, but yeah, I mean, there's there's so many reasons, right? Everybody should be in the, in some sort of community at any given time in their career, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I speak on that because I, I know that it's important to be in the environment that actually helps you progress a lot faster. And so given that you have a community, just wanted to point that out to uh, the people that are listening. Absolutely. It's important to be in, in an environment. And so, David, what is it that you are now looking to do in the future? Are you staying in wholesaling? Are you looking at more of different asset types? Or what about your education business? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. You know, so to me, wholesaling is, it's a secondary approach at this point. It used to be the primary approach. It used to be the, the main focus. And again, I told you, you know, at one point we were doing, you know, almost 15 deals a month. But the problem with wholesaling is it's a job, right? 
You've created another job for yourself. It's a lot of work. Now you can make a good chunk of change doing it. And you can make a ton of money doing it, but you're only as good as your, as your, as your next wholesale deal. Right. And to me, I like to build my portfolio. So I have 120 units right now that I rent out. I have an education business that helps people get started, get their first deal, scale their business. And I love doing fix and flips. So those are the main things that I'm focusing my time and energy on. And essentially, if a deal comes across my computer screen or my desk, however you want to look at it, and it doesn't meet my buy box, meaning I don't want to keep this as a rental or it's not going to make a good fix and flip. However, I can get a good deal on it. I'm going to put it under contract and I'm going to wholesale it, right? But I'm not out here actively marketing just to wholesale. To me, it's keep the best deals for myself and do whatever I want with them, right? And wholesale the rest. So keep the best, wholesale the rest. That's the slogan. That's the motto. And, you know, I encourage all my students to do the same thing, right? Are you going to create legacy wealth wholesaling? Well, probably not. I don't want to say no because I do know some people out here making seven figures a year wholesaling. There's only a couple people that I know that are doing that kind of volume, but some people are doing that. But the answer is is most likely not, right? Most people are going to just trade one job for another and they're going to go out and they're going to do a few wholesale deals and and that's great. But to me, you know, I want to buy fix and flips that are going to make six figures. I want to buy rental properties that are going to make three or $400 a month. And over time, they're going to pay themselves down to zero. And I'm going to be able to have a ton of wealth. See, one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is when it comes to taxes, right? Taxes are the biggest expense that anybody has in their life, like it or not. And when it comes to taxes, you only pay taxes on income. You don't pay taxes on wealth. So if you can go out and you can create yourself a million, two million, three million dollars worth of wealth, you don't pay any tax on that until you create income, until you sell those properties. So this is one of the main reasons why I love rental properties so much. You know, somebody else is paying the property down. Every month I'm creating a little bit of wealth on every single property and it multiplies over time. And if I can create myself you know, millions of dollars worth of wealth. I don't pay $1 in tax on that wealth that's being created. You only pay tax on income. And that's why real estate's such an amazing play. You can use leverage to buy and position yourself into rental properties. Somebody else is paying them down. You're creating wealth. You're getting tax advantages for owning those rental properties via interest expense, as well as depreciation and a bunch of other things that we can do to, to offset those taxes. And we're creating lots and lots of wealth. And that wealth can be passed on tax-free in some cases. We can also borrow against that wealth, which is amazing, but we're not paying any taxes until we have an income event, right? So if we can push that income event off, we don't have to pay taxes and we can create a, an abundance of wealth, right? Wholesaling doesn't really create wealth. It creates income. Owning rental property can create wealth. And that's really my main focus. And it, it's going to remain that way because I hate paying taxes. I don't know about you, but that's my least favorite thing to do. Yeah. Is to go pay a bunch of money in tax, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, so yeah, that's typically the main, you know, the main the main focus. I love helping people get started though, you know, so the education business is a great business, but it's really more so a fulfilling business. It's it's fulfilling to me to help people and to see them succeed. Yeah, it brings in income. But at the same time, you know, it's just very fulfilling to see people 
you know, go from zero to one or, you know, 10 to 200, whatever their goal is. Yeah. Yeah. When, when did you have that shift of wholesaling is a job and I should probably get into owning some of these? Yeah, that's a good question, man. So I would say probably about five, six years ago. So I started buying rentals when I was 20. I'm 38 right now. Mm-hmm. So I've been buying rentals for 18 years. I've been a landlord for 18 years. So I started buying rentals first and I did that for about 10 years. And then about, about eight years ago, I decided, you know what, excuse me, I'm going to go into real estate full time and I'm going to do this full time. Mm-hmm. And I learned about wholesaling and I did that, you know, for about three years exclusively. And then I woke up one day and I'm like, man, I'm making money, but I'm not really getting ahead. You know, I need to get back to, I need to focus my efforts on what I had been doing for the previous 13 years, owning rentals. So I kind of pivoted to keep the best and wholesale the rest about five years ago. And that's kind of where I'm at now. We do a good amount of marketing. We get a good amount of leads that come in. We work those leads. When they make for good fix and flips or rentals, we keep them. We hold them, right? Or we do a fix and flip, which makes us typically three to three to 10 times more than the wholesale fee could be, right? And if it doesn't meet our buy box, it doesn't make a good rental. It's too far away. It needs too much work. Whatever the reason is, it's outside of our buy box. Then we wholesale those deals. So the amount of deals I'm wholesaling is, you know, maybe only one or two a month. It's not very high volume, but it's because I'm keeping three or four or five other deals for fix and flip or for rental purposes. So the amount of transactions that not necessarily hasn't gone down, Mm -hmm. that's still pretty high, but the amount of times that we decide to go wholesale a deal has decreased quite a bit because it doesn't necessarily align with our goals. So again, one of the things I often ask my students, a new student that comes into the program is, you know, what, what are your goals? And if your goals are to create legacy wealth, well, wholesaling is probably not the most, the best strategy for you to do every time. Not saying you can't do a wholesale deal here and there. I'm just saying to vote, to, to meet a goal, to hit a goal, you need to have a plan. Right. So if the plan that you're executing doesn't align with the goal, then you need to get a new plan or a new goal. One of the two. Yeah. Great question though. Totally makes sense. I want to highlight a little bit about your education journey. You obviously had people in your life that you got a mentorship from or helped you a ton, you know, get to where you are. How how important has that been? and, And how were you able to approach these people in order to, you know, add value to them and, and have them add value to you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very important, right? So, you know, 80% of what we do is habits. If you wake up and you do the same thing you did yesterday, are you growing? Not really, right? So growth comes from, you know, doing different things. Mm -hmm. It comes from taking risks and it comes from changing your habits. Mm -hmm. And there's no better way to change your habit than to hire a coach or a mentor for two reasons. Number one, if you pay this person, you're going to find value in them. Right. People don't find value in free stuff typically. Right. They may they may like it, but they're not going to necessarily find a ton of value in it. So by paying these coaches and mentors, you're going to focus. You're going to give them the time of day. You're really going to truly listen when they're speaking because you've invested, you've paid. And at the second and the second reason is, is they have already made a lot of mistakes. They already know what they're doing and they are where you want to be. So all you got to do is just listen to what they say. And most of it, let's be honest, it's just copy and pasting what they're doing in their business. 
They say, hey, you need to go out and send some postcards. Okay, great. Where do you buy them from? Okay, great. Now it's up to you to go find yourself a list and send some postcards to these people, right? So they can kind of get you out of your comfort zone. They can help you create new habits. And then, of course, you're going to value what they say much higher because you're spending money on their time. So I love hiring coaches. I love being part of masterminds. But at this point, I have my own mastermind and I have my own coaching program. And the reason is, is because I have been helped so much by being in other people's groups and masterminds and coaching programs. And at this point, I want to be able to help other people do the same thing. That's amazing. Yeah, that that's a, that's a great example of why education can definitely help a person grow. And not only that, but people. So I want to touch on a little bit about, we mentioned in, in our previous conversation that you had acquired a multifamily deal. Couple of them. Couple of them. So tell me why you, you know, you, 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 you went after a multifamily deal. Yeah. I mean, I've done, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of single family homes. And single-family homes are great, but you can only increase the ARV of a property so much, right? If all the houses on the street are selling for two hundred grand, is it likely that your house is going to sell for four hundred grand? Come on, guys, that's not very likely. You know, is it possible? Sure, but is it likely? No. And you know, you, you're typically most investors are typically out here trying to make about twenty percent, mm-hmm. right? What's the formula that most investors use to make offers? It's ARV times 70% minus your repairs, right? That's the formula. Well, why do they use 70%? They use 70% because the cost of selling a property is about 10% Mm -hmm. and they want to make 20%. 10 plus 20 is 30, offset 30%. That means you multiply it by 0.7, right? That's the formula. And at the end of the day, you can only essentially make 20%. So if the deal's 100K and you're making 20%, that's 20,000. If it's a 200K house and you're making 20%, that's 40,000. Well, you know, when you move into the multifamily space, you're talking about properties that are half a million, a million, two million, five million. Well, 20% of those larger numbers is a much bigger number for you. So I like the multifamily space because it's larger numbers and I'm still typically shooting to make 15 to 20% of my deals, right? But also with the multifamily space, they're not necessarily valued by the neighboring property. They're valued on the amount of income that the property brings in. Hey, real quick, guys. No ads here, just real stories. Are you thinking of owning multifamily properties? Let's do it together. Join my multifamily cohort. We'll learn from experts and help each other buy that first multifamily property. Head over to multifamilycohort.com. So if you can go out and you can find yourself a multifamily that's 10, 20, 30, 40, 60 units, whatever, and you can increase the amount of income by updating the property or reducing the expenses on the property or decreasing the vacancy on the property or maybe doing all these things simultaneously, you can increase the value of that property relatively easy. And then when you go to sell or refinance that property, you can get a much higher appraised value or a much higher sale price on that property, which effectively makes you more money. So to answer your question, why do I like the multifamily? Here's the reason. You know, I've done about 100 deals a year on average for the last five, six years, give or take. And it's a lot of work doing that many deals, right? If I can do 10 or 15 deals a year and make more money than doing 100 deals a year, Not only am I working less, but I'm making more. So I guess to 
really, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it's a, it's about more than just efficiency. It's about effectiveness, right? What's your hourly? How much money are you making hourly? And I'm not asking you. I'm asking everybody that's listening, right? How much are you making hourly? Okay, now you got yourself a number. How do you quadruple that? Well, there's two ways to do that. Number one, you can quadruple the amount of efforts you're putting in. Or you can change your habits. And you can start working on something that's going to create a higher level of effectiveness for each hour. Oftentimes, that means that you are working more efficiently, too. So efficiency and effectiveness kind of go hand in hand. They're different things by all means. But to me, I don't want to try to 4X the amount of effort I'm putting into something. I would much rather just try to find something that's going to give me a 4X output on the same amount of time that I'm investing. So to me, multifamily is a much higher profit margin because of the fact that it's a much higher cost to get into the deal, right? It's a much higher value on the deal in the end too. So a couple different reasons, but I think you get the point there. Yeah, yeah, totally get the point. I want to highlight a little bit about kind of the way you operate. I see that you mentioned efficiency, effectiveness. Where can someone go find kind of like the way that you do things? Or like, yeah, absolutely. So REI School, and that's S K O O L dot com. Mm-hmm. That's my community. As of right now, it's free. We do plan on starting to charge for this community, hopefully in the next couple of days. If you're listening to this podcast and it's still free, come over and join. We would love to have you there. Within the community, we have a free wholesaling course. And it teaches you how we do all of our deals. I've done 700 plus wholesale deals, right? There's nothing to wholesaling. It is incredibly simple. I'm not saying it's easy. You're going to have to hustle. You're going to have to spend some money on marketing or time. It's one or the other. Time or money, guys. Time or money, right? But we have a free wholesaling course that's about three hours long that's going to teach you everything you need to know about wholesaling. It's even going to provide free contracts and and, and different paperwork that you know, may be needed. We also have a free course on landlording and how to utilize the Burr method. I love the Burr method. I've done the Burr method over 200 times at this point, right? The Burr method is one of the best strategies out there to acquire assets with little to none of your own money, assuming that you can find yourself a local private or hard money lender, as well as your bankable to get the refinance done, right? So we have courses on all these things. We also have courses on how to run comps and how to use real estate data and how to, you know, pull lists of, of sellers that are likely to be motivated and how to market to these sellers. And then of course, as you mentioned in the beginning of this podcast episode, we have a community. So that community allows us to collaborate and share wins and talk about, you know, mistakes and how to overcome these mistakes and, and really just put all of our heads together to where we can all become better at this. And really just the goal here is to speed, speed it up, right? If you're new, why spend six months to get that first deal when we can maybe help you get it done in two or three, you know, by just focusing on the right things. Hey, don't focus on this. This isn't going to get you across the finish line. Focus on this. This will help get you across the finish line and faster. And that's the goal. So yes, REI school spelled the cool way. S-K-O-O-L. R-E-I school.com is the community uh, URL. As of right this moment, we have 992 members and it's amazing. It's only about two months old, but I love it. I'm having so much fun with it. And we're going to take this community to somewhere between 10 and 20,000 in the next six to 12 months. It's amazing. 
David, any books you recommend someone to completely change their habits, which you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different books out there, you know, to change your habits. Um, or, or what do you recommend? It doesn't have to be a book. No, books like, are uh, great. I mean, I, I, an audit, you know. yeah, I love reading books. I mean, really, at the end of the day, you know, people have to decide to change their habits. Right? Habits are thoughts. That's all they are. They're just thoughts that you implement on. You, you, you think and then you act. And again, you know, I just try to get my students to get out of their comfort zone. You spend all your time in the comfort zone. You're not doing anything new. You're just doing what you've always done. You know, so there's a lot of different books out there on it. But at the end of the day, you know, you just got to you got to get a little uncomfortable if you want to see any growth at all. It doesn't have to be extremely uncomfortable, just a little bit, you know, so lots of different books out there. I'm, I'm not even going to specify a, a, a certain or particular one, you know, but you know, hiring a coach or a mentor is one of the best ways to get you out of your comfort zone because they're going to essentially hold you accountable to doing the things that you need to do. And if you're not doing them, then it's going to be new to you. It may be a little uncomfortable and that's where growth happens. That's amazing. So David, I really want to thank you for coming on today. I think we had a great conversation and I really enjoyed it myself. I hope the listeners also enjoyed it and we'd like to have you on in the future at some point. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's always always fun to connect with other real estate investors and like-minded individuals. So yeah, thanks for having me, and I'd love to come back on down the road in the future. Just let me know. Sounds good. Besides REI School, you have an Instagram, you have a YouTube channel, you have other... Yeah, I have a YouTube channel. It's David Dodge Show. You can check that out. And I have an Instagram as well. It's my full name, David Allen Dodge. A-L-A-N is my middle name. It's all one word, no spaces or underscores or anything like that. So yeah, you can check me out on socials as well. I'll be honest, I'm not super active on social media. I'm much more active within my community. So if you're looking to learn, you're looking to, you know, get started, do that first deal or scale your business to doing, you know, several deals, come join the community, R-E-I school, S-K-O-O-L.com. And, you know, you'll, you'll see what it takes. There's people in the group here doing lots and lots of deals and doing tons of marketing. And, you know, one thing I want to mention just really quick is, is, you know, when it comes to real estate investing, we need to understand one very, very important principle. And that is, is that we are in the marketing business before we are in the investing business. And a lot of people don't like hearing this, but this is the truth. All right. We don't really have a business if we don't have any leads. Think about this for a second. So how do you generate leads? Well, you generate leads by doing marketing. Marketing can be outbound, calling, texting, door knocking, or it can be inbound, you know, direct mail, radio advertisements, banded signs, a website with, you know, SEO or, or SEM or pay-per-click or whatever you want to call it. But we need to understand that this is a marketing business. So if we want to have a thriving business, we need to focus our efforts on marketing in the beginning. And we can't lose sight of that. Even after we're doing deals, we need to keep doing the marketing. If, if we don't have any leads, again, we don't have a business. So if you guys want to build a business, you need to understand that marketing is very, very important. And that's really where we should try to focus the majority of our time and effort is to market ourselves. So just keep that in mind. But yeah, real estate school is awesome. We're having a lot of fun with it. We're helping a ton of people. We have courses on anything that you could imagine over there when it comes to real estate investing. And uh, we'd love to have you. So go come over and check it out. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. Really appreciate you.
Hope you have, have a great day. day. Thank you for having me. See you, bud. Thanks for joining us on Elevate America. We hope this story inspired you as much as it inspired us. If it did, please give us a rating, leave a review, and tell your friends. Let's keep the dream alive. I'm Julian Castle. Until next time, dream big and reach for new heights.